Do you run your own freelance business? Or maybe you're thinking about picking up some business on the side. Well, then you need FreshBooks. FreshBooks is the quickest and easiest way to get invoices out to your clients. It's easy to use. It works anywhere, available from any device, uh, on the desktop, iPhone, iPad, Android, and all of your data is backed up and secure. And it makes it really easy to get organized and get paid. You'll be tracking time, logging expenses, and invoicing your clients in no time. You can also save time billing, freeing up several days per month to focus on the work that you love, and you get paid faster. FreshBooks customers are paid on average five days faster because there's a link on the invoice that says pay me now. And it's a great way to grow your business. Plus, FreshBooks is offering a 30-day trial. That's right, 30-day trial if you try them out. So go to gofreshbooks.com slash devchat and enter devchat in the how did you hear about us section. Once again, for a 30-day trial, go to gofreshbooks.com slash devchat and enter devchat in the how did you hear about us section. Hi, everyone, and welcome to The Freelancer Show. This week on our panel, we have Kai Davis. Hey, hey, hey. And Jonathan Stark. Hello. And I'm Ruben Lerner. And this week, we are going to be talking about how to organize your business. So big, big uh, sort of, uh, I don't know, um, disclaimer here. I am an incredibly unorganized person. My, my wife claims that in physical space, I'm really unorganized, but on, on my computer, I'm really organized. Um, this is perhaps partly true, except when it comes to my business. So I am looking forward to finding out <laughs> just how bad I am and just how wrong I am in running it um, and what I can do to improve. So let's start with a really like simple question, which is why should I organize my business? Like here's a, here's a softball oh. for you guys. So in my experience growing a business over the last decade, I found there to be a strong, strong, strong correlation between how organized I am in the business and how effective I am in actually doing the things the business is supposed to do. When I'm disorganized, when I don't know where information is, when I don't know what I'm supposed to be working on, no work really happens. I can't move forward because I don't know where that, what that goal is or what that next step is. And even beyond that, what I've noticed is when I fall into, let's call them anti-habits or anti-patterns, using my inbox as a to-do list, using my inbox as a pipeline manager, the data and the information gets muddled. And it's harder for me when I log in to check my inbox in the morning to know, well, is this something I need to act on? Oh, no, I'm just letting that email sit there for three weeks and then I need to reply. It all gets a bit confused and it's harder for me to know what I'm actually supposed to be focused on today. And so uh, I think this is an excellent topic just to help share the different systems, the different tools, the different tactics we use to stay organized to make sure we don't forget what it is we're supposed to be doing. Yeah, I get, if I'm disorganized, I get really reactive and stressed out. I feel mm -hmm. like I'm feel like things are falling through the cracks. Uh, it's it it keeps me awake at night. I literally get up and be like, I, I have to clear up my inbox. I can't sleep. You know, if if I'm in one of those modes. So if I let myself get really behind, get too busy, um, that sort of thing, it uh, has a negative impact on me like 24 seven. Mm -hmm. mm -hmm. do, do both of you have empty inboxes or close to it? Yeah, I, I, I do for very close to it. I'm an inbox zero person. It, it goes up and down, especially when I ask my mailing list a question, I'll get 50 emails. It's kind of hard to plow through those. But, uh, in general, my, my inbox, when you look at it, it's, it's always, you know, maybe I'll have, I think probably in there, I might have two emails or three emails right now. I try to be an inbox zero person. I am a very strong believer and promoter of the inbox zero concept. And we'll have some links to Merlin Mann's resources on the topic uh, in show notes. Uh, right now, I am not an inbox zero person, though. I've been fighting my way down from 1,500 emails to reply to when I got back from Burning Man. I am under 100 again. And my goal is by the end of the year, just get down to inbox zero again. And the biggest issue, just to go micro for a second, the biggest issue and struggle with going to zero on this is these are all like actionable things that have a discrete next step and need a response. I've already cut out all the stuff I don't need to reply to, the newsletters, the stuff where a response isn't needed, the just CC for your information. 
And I'm just left with a pile of like, oh, I just need to work my way through this. And for the last two weeks, my goal has been, hey, I want to end the day with five fewer emails in my inbox than when I started. So let me catch up on what came in and move the needle a little further towards inbox zero. Yeah, I mean, I, I've been at inbox zero on a handful of occasions, and I'm now at inbox about 250. And it's really like, <laughs> it's just daunting. So, um, all right. It's good to know that you can get back down again. You just, and I think already, like the first lesson here that I need to take to heart is you need to actually spend time on your organization. It's not just going to happen magically because I keep saying, oh, I'll get to my email. I'll get to this. I'll get to that. And that just doesn't happen. Like I'm too busy with other stuff. So I need to actually set times to work on it because otherwise it's just going to keep creeping up and up and up given the quantity of email I get each day. Very much so. One of the hardest things, not really one of the hardest, but let's say one of the most difficult, internally difficult things I do is scheduling like a two hour block of deep work on my inbox. I schedule it and I'm like, why am I spending two hours on my email? I want to go to a park. I want to hang with a friend. I want to cook a meal. I want to watch an episode of Westworld. But I run an independent business. People email me. People have questions. People want to pay me money. I need to respond back to those emails. And so by intentionally scheduling out time on my calendar. Hey, I'm making a promise to myself. I'm going to work on my on my inbox for it. Maybe it's just 20 minutes to start. Hey, I have this 20-minute period. I went in. I processed some emails. I came out. Okay, cool. I made a positive impact. Let me repeat that tiny little movement forward, that 20-minute sprint again tomorrow and the next day or just a few times a week and slowly over time. And I think this is a second important lesson, work on building the bigger habit. Uh, I'll use an analogy of weightlifting here. I'm just starting to go back to the gym and weightlift consistently again. And when I first started, I thought, hey, you know what? I'm going to start off again five days a week. Some days maybe I'll go twice a day, add some cardio in. And I started doing that and realizing I was setting myself up for defeat because the goal I had set out for myself to do this big thing consistently was too large to start with. And I think likewise, when people start looking at organization for their business or their inbox and say, hey, you know what? I'm going to go in eight hours today, blocked out, knock it all out. You hit hour two and you're like, shit, I can't do this anymore. It's better to start with a small habit you could do consistently and celebrate the fact that you're doing that small habit consistently than start with too large of a habit and fall down. So in the inbox space, maybe it's, hey, twice a week I'm going in for 20 minutes and I'm just cherry picking the most important things, responding and replying to a few others, building up the habit. In the gym, for me, it's been, hey, you know what? I went two times this week. That's two times more than I went last week. Next week, I'm going to try to go two times again and just keep that small habit going and add to it over time. I have that large vision for what I want it to be, but that vision doesn't need to be realized today. It could be something I work towards over a month or a year. Yeah, I, I mean, I don't want to make this, in, it, it would be easy to make this entire show about email and inbox management. So I'll just say, I could talk for two hours about it, I think, but um, I'll just say a couple things. One is that if I start to use my inbox as a to-do list and it gets big, I end up wasting a crazy amount of time just reading through the list mm -hmm. with triaging over and over and over and being like, Oh, this one's too long to answer right now. Or, Oh, this, you know, blah, blah, blah. and I noticed this a long time ago and it was introduced to the getting things done approach by the, I think David Allen created. Mm -hmm. And I subscribed to that notion a long time ago. And that's what I use, have used to get my inbox down to pretty close to zero. I mean, you know, as soon as it's zero, then another email comes in. But, uh, you know, I'm my inbox right is, now. yeah, I mean, it's very <laughs> common for, it's very common for me to have an empty inbox, you know, once a day. Um, another a quick, a couple quick things about email. Uh, I only check email once a day. Um, I have conditioned my clients to not email me which means that the email in my inbox is mostly all optional. You know, it's, it's nothing that I need to respond to immediately. My clients, uh, slack me or they direct message me and, uh, let's see. Yes. Good pick. Um, so I can, so in other words, there's very little email in my inbox. That's really important. The only thing that's actually important that I'll scan for once a day, I'll go through, take out all the junk, archive all the junk, and I will look for any new business requests, you know, people like, Hey, I found your name online, wanted to send you an email. But even that stuff usually comes through like type form or something like that. So I get like a text message through Zapier and all that stuff. So, so I don't need to look at my email constantly, which that's kind of a, maybe, maybe a important step one. And it's not the kind of thing you can just do overnight. Mm -hmm. uh, then, 
the GTD approach is that for each thing you either, I don't even remember it now, but if this is exactly what it is, but this is what I do, I go through and just quickly using keyboard commands, archive a bunch of stuff. So stuff like, uh, I know this is going to be a busy day. I'm not going to get around to reading, uh, cover your ears, Kai. I might not be able to read Kai's email today. So I'm going to, I'm going to archive it. I might read it later. It's highly possible. Um, but all of that sort of mailing list stuff and of course, spam from like William Sonoma or whatever that all gets archived, not deleted, but archived. And then I'm down to stuff that I need to actually, uh, I definitely need to read. So then I'll go through and read it and be like, okay, this is from a student. It's not critical or I can either. Uh, and then I decide, can I respond to this in less than, you know, a minute or two? in which case I will respond to it. If I can't respond to it in less than a minute or two, I archive it to get it out of my email, but then I add it to my to-do list. Mm-hmm. So, and, and the, mm-hmm. the, there are some plugins I think that do this with Gmail. All I do is copy the URL to the email and paste it into my to-do list. And it's like, get back to Kai about this, get back to Ben about this. And then there's a link right there. I click it, it pulls the email up and I can get back to it. So I move it over to my to-do list. And in that way, uh, I'm, it's, it's really not impossible for me to get it done. You know, in maybe 20 minutes I can have inbox zero on any given day. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's great. I, and I think it hits on one of the key points of getting the to do's, getting the action items out of your inbox. If it's something where you have a priority of responding to it later, I think your flow is perfect. Hey, let me move it over to my task manager. Let me copy that URL. Uh, I, it's a little known trick, but I think you and I have picked up on this as a very valuable trick. You could copy the URL of an individual thread or email in Gmail. And then when you click it, it will bring you back to that thread. So it's a wonderful way if you want to reference an email discussion or thread to yourself in a document or a to-do list or your task manager, your calendar, you could just paste that URL in there. And then the meeting comes up and it's like, call Jonathan, what's it about? Look in the event description, see a link, click on it, and then see that entire thread that led to the call. So wonderful, exactly. wonderful tactic there. Mm, exactly. Because if you think about it mentally, if you use your email inbox as a to-do list, it means that almost any, you know, almost 7 billion people worldwide can add things to your to-do list. Mm-hmm. And that's not a good, that's not a good place to be. Heck no. Uh, on the inbox front, one tool that I've used for a few years now and absolutely, absolutely love, recommend stronger than almost anything is Sanebox. They use algorithms to automatically filter unimportant email out of your inbox into folders they name SaneBulk. Hey, you don't really need those Amazon notifications, so we're going to put them over here in the bulk folder. Or SaneLater. Huh. Hey, this is somebody you haven't corresponded with a bunch, so we're going to stick it over here. Uh, they advise looking at SaneLater once a day. Uh, uh, same bulk once a week. They have a same news for newsletters. So it automatically filters it for you. This makes managing my inbox so much easier. And then on top of it, it even learns. So let's say Ruben, you email me, same box says, Oh, yeah, this Ruben guy, we're going to stick it in same later. If I then drag that email to my, that email to my inbox, same box will say, Oh, you just moved it to your inbox. We're going to make sure we add a little more weight to any emails that Ruben sends. And so they'll end up in your inbox more often, or they'll only end up in your inbox now wonderful tool has made filtering through and figuring out what do I need to deal with years, years, years in the past. Highly, highly recommend Sanebox for anybody listening to the show who uses email even a tiny bit. It got my dad from 13,000 unread messages to 200. It is a powerful tool. And he didn't just delete all the others. He did not. This was, we ran (laughs) Sanebox. It took a couple hours for Sanebox to process through all the emails. Then it was like, cool, here's what you need to worry about. And it was really, really relevant. It was like, these are important things that may have slipped through the cracks that we have detected and we're putting in your inbox. Then he did a scan through Sane later, rescued the things, and then moved forward. It was a wonderful, wonderful tool to use. Okay, so this is all great. Part of my issue, and here I'm going to segue to another topic, part part of the reason I have my inbox in such a state is that I am using, I'm, I'm doing the classic mistake that I think both of you guys referenced, which is I'm using it as my to-do list in many ways. Not my only to-do list, of course. I have to have multiple ones that are all in conflict with one another. But mm-hmm. basically, if, but basically, if my accountant um, needs me to do something, which is a lot of the time, I just leave that message from the accountant's office in my inbox, and then I get to, and then once I've gotten rid of all the messages from the accountant, I can feel good. Um, so I know that there are ways to take care of tasks. Right. Like I know that there are ways to do it. What what are your ways to do it that are, do not involve inboxes? 
Jonathan, you want to tackle this one first? Sure. Uh, I have two places. I have exactly two places. If a if a to do has no date associated with it, it's sort of a thing that I need to do, but it's not really on a particular date. I put it in Remember the Milk, which just happens to be the task tracker I use. You could use anything. It doesn't really matter. They all have different features. But the, the critical thing to keep in mind is that I do not put dated tasks in there. It's the stuff that I to work on when I find that I have a half an hour or an hour free in between appointments. If something is a, is it has a date associated with it, it goes in my calendar. I use Google calendar for this. Again, I don't really care what, I don't think it matters what calendar you actually use, but if I make a commitment to do something at a particular date and time, it goes in my calendar. And those are the only two places I keep to do's. That's it. But wait, it goes in your calendar on the day. So let's say something, uh, we're recording this on December 5th. Um, so let's say you have something due on December 10th, right? So do you put it on your calendar on the 10th or do you schedule time in your calendar before the 10th when you're going to do it? I don't really have much stuff like this. This is not project management. Like we're not, I'm not talking about project management type stuff. Mm -hmm. I'm talking about running my business type stuff. So I'll have something like, uh, you know, a typical task in my, um, inbox, in my, in my, remember the milk. And I, and I don't, I put all I should say I put all personal business, everything that I need to do in my entire life goes in the same two places, either my calendar or remember the milk. And I don't make any distinction between the two things. So I only have one place to look for, you know, when I've got an hour free, I've got one place to look, remember the milk. If I need to know what I'm doing today, I look at my calendar and the, uh, in remember the milk, a typical task would be like, Oh, I don't know. Um, well, I can, I could look, that would help. Let me look. Uh, in my remember the milk right now, uh, it says uh, look into refinancing my house, call a plumber, stuff like that, stuff I can do at any time. But what about with something that's, let's say, a little larger as a project like uh, uh, launch hourly billing is nuts. We might mm -hmm. have or you might have a specific time like, hey, send the launch email or host a webinar on the calendar. But there's a lot of moving pieces that do resemble, say, project management or business management more than not. How would you tackle those types of things where there might be dependencies between the two of them? I need the cover finished before I could put up the sales page. I need the copy written before I could send out the emails. How do you handle tasks like that where there's some amount of dependency between them or time required before the actual event due date? Usually I'll block out time in my calendar to do that, like an ongoing task. So, oh, and you know what? This reminds me that I have a newer tool that is sort of related to this. So what I'll do is I'll block out like uh, when I'm working on a book project, I'll block out a particular time to work on it, uh, especially if it's like a deep kind of work that I need a few hours to get into the zone and do it. Um, right now, if you looked at my calendar, you would see that Thursdays are blocked out nine to five like completely blocked out so that nobody can pick an appointment in that time using my Calendly and my scheduler. Um, so that is where I would put like writing. So if I was working on a project, a book project right now, I would put it, uh, uh, do that on Thursdays. Mm -hmm. And I have a new, and the thing that I just alluded to is I have a newer tool that I suppose fits into this sort of area called productive, which is an app on my phone. That's just like this recurring to-do list that comes back every day. So these are things that I need to do every single day. And you know, in the morning it's like, boom, all these tasks are back. I need to do them at some point throughout the day. I check them off. I'm done. It creates a streak over time. And next day they all come back next day. They all come back. So one of them would be like, write my daily email. Another one is like floss my teeth. Another one is drink more water. Uh, things like that. So to do's that are just constant kinds of things you can't, you can't cram for later, the kind of things that need to be done on a regular basis. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's, that's an interesting class of to do that I've been encountering more and more often and trying to find the right tool and the right workflow for me where it's something that has consistency, has an estimated time to it. Hey, it's going to take me about 30 minutes to do this thing. But when exactly I need to do it is a bit squishy. I could write all my daily emails on Monday if I want. I could do it one per day. It's There's not as much of a absolute due date for it, unless I have zero in the bank and need to write a daily email for that day that day. But there's definitely these types of squishy tasks where it's like, sometime this week I could do this one hour thing. 
I've used sweep cards for uh, these types of tasks recently, but I like hearing about productive and other options out there for managing these. By the way, I mean, I, I, um, I should point out, I mean, I sort of have two or three different types of work that I do and my training, which is by far the bulk of my work that I use my calendar for. And there I'm like very, very dependent on my calendar. My calendar basically tells me what city, what country I'm going to on a given day. And I'm always terrified that I've written down wrong, wrong city, wrong country, wrong company, uh, wrong <laughs> course name. Uh, so like every, so I'll always say on the first day of class, just to double check, we're meeting on the following days, right? And I, I breathe a big sigh of relief when I get that right. Um, <laughs> it's like, oh God. But, um, but it's the other things, right? It's, it's the accountant, it's the, uh, doing newsletters. It's, it's all that other stuff that I basically squeeze in between other things. Um, which, which makes it hard. It makes it frustrating. It makes it feel like though it's like Sisyphus, which is never ending. And that there's no way to get get over it. And I definitely think like having a a clear set of to do's that I can then knock off. I also know. I mean, I used to do it to some degree. I still do it to a certain degree. I have a like a. I know this is going to sound incredibly primitive because it is, but I have a file called to do, mm-hmm. and I like knock things knock things off of it. Now that file is now several thousand lines long because it's become my sort of junk drawer of files. And so I'll have like the most important things are at the top, and then the things from like two years ago are at the bottom because I haven't really bothered to remove them. Uh, which so, makes it sort of less effective. One of the strategies that somebody recently suggested to me, and I'm absolutely loving, is when you do a review of things in your uh, inbox task manager, we'll refer to them interchangeably for this example. When you do a review, if it's something that you have not touched in, I use the last three weeks, but you could extend it to six weeks, a couple of months, whatever time horizon you want. But if it's something you haven't touched in that time period, just wholesale delete it. And I've started doing this. The la- I did this in my last review. I think I knocked 40 projects out of OmniFocus and 100 plus tasks associated with those projects. And the logic behind it is, well, if it's been sitting there and it's been causing you like anxiety and stress and just like bad emotions around it, a bad trip around it, and you haven't done anything around it, what exactly are you doing by keeping it in your to-do list other than giving yourself a small little bit of anxiety or stress or worry every single day when you see it or remember oh, you haven't done that thing? Better to delete it out. And then if and when it comes up again, either you notice it as a priority and it's something you need to tackle or somebody says, hey, can you do this thing for me? Then add it back in with a deadline. What I found is that has helped me clear out the to-do list dramatically and move from what you described where, okay, the things at the top are the most important and the bottom things down here, they're a couple years old, they just are still there. If I was in that scenario and I've been in that scenario a number of times, I just go through and almost con Marie uh, uh, method my to-do list. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Does, does, does this thing bring me joy? Do I want to work right. on it still? If no, what, what, delete. What was that word you just used? Call Marie? Cole Marie, uh, uh, the, oh, let me figure out her actual book title. I think it's the life changing magic of uh, tidying, tidying up. up. Yeah. Oh, okay. Well, here's the irony. I bought that book and I haven't had a chance to read it. <laughs> it's on the to do list. <laughs> it's on right. the to do list. Exactly. Uh, so I have a, I have a slight, a slight variation on what Kai just described. So, so I have, I, I cannot bring myself to delete something that I've put in my to do list, uh, because I, but I also do recognize that having stuff in there that's really old creates stress. You know, it turns, you don't want your to-do list, whether it's your inbox or an actual to-do list, uh, something like that. You don't want it to turn into like an attic of junk, you okay. know, because, because there's a mix of important stuff and not as important stuff in there. And if, it just hangs over your head. I, I always describe it as like this swarm of bees that I'm just swatting at that are around yeah. my head all the time. So what I do is I move them and I think this is a, a, a David Allen approach, a GTD approach. I move them to a maybe someday list mm-hmm. and I almost never look at that list, but I feel like, okay, it's safe. It's in there. That brilliant idea that I had that one day I'm going to write. I, it's hilarious to go back and read it now because I have stuff on there from back in over a decade old, literally over a decade old. Uh, but I don't want to, I can't bring myself to delete it. I almost want to know, I I find it interesting, almost like an end of the year thing to go back through there and sort of laugh at myself and be like, Oh yeah, I'm totally going to get around to that. You know, what a dumb idea that was, but I leave it there. 
So I don't know if that's, I don't know if that helps people, but, but definitely a good, for me, a good rule of thumb is my to-do list is fewer than 10 items. And if I've got, if it's longer than 10 items, I look at it and I say, okay, and it's organized like oldest to the bottom. And I look at the bottom, you know, on a regular basis and I'm like, yeah, it's been three weeks. I'm not, I'm, I, I'm going to be honest with myself. I'm not doing this. And I move it to maybe Sunday. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Very, or very I'll put it in my calendar. Like if it's actually important, like, um, uh, file your tax, you know, if it's something you have to do, I'll be like, okay, I got to take this out of the to-do list. It's not this, it's becoming, uh, we're getting close to a deadline and I'm procrastinating on this thing. So I'm going to put it in my calendar. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, it's very similar for me. I use Evernote for my someday maybe folder. I also use Markdown files synced through NV alt, uh, Brett Terpstra's fork of notational velocity. And that works very well for quickly creating markdown files. So if I have a couple things in my to-do list, like let's say a project, I want to do this thing and here are six tasks associated with it. Then I realize I'm not going to do this before the end of the year. And I'm probably not going to do it in the first couple of months of the year. Let me get that out of the task manager. Let me move it to the someday maybe list. Typically I'll create, I have a folder in Evernote, business ideas, project ideas, I'll create a new page or a sheet and just lay out like, hey, here's the quick summary of a thing. I want to launch a thing and it does this. And here are the brainstorm tasks and next steps. I've captured it. I've moved it somewhere else. I can reference it if I want to, but it's no longer cluttering up the inbox. And because it has a due date that's further out, a couple weeks or a couple months, it's not something that I want sitting there waiting for it to happen. So it's easier for me to move it over to Evernote, know that it's captured there. And quarterly, as part of my systematic review process, I'll go in and just spend 30 minutes looking through it and say like, okay, there's a bunch of stuff here. I stuck in this metaphorical attic. Is there anything that's relevant or any treasure here? And quite often I'll find an idea and say like, ooh, this connects to the project I'm working on right now. Or, hey, this is an interesting idea and I have some time. Let me take it and turn it in a new way because I've learned new things along the past six months. But let me grab this idea and reactivate it. But having that uh, someday maybe list, whatever form it takes, in my case, it's basically Evernote as a gigantic someday maybe list, is incredibly valuable for moving things off the to-do list, off the calendar, and putting them someplace that you could reference them down the line. Mm. That's maybe a good segue into things like notes and mind maps and, and, and brain dumps and, uh, um, brainstorms with other people perhaps. Mm -hmm. So this is something that I do a lot and it's the kind of thing that a lot of people use Evernote for, but I never, I never, the user interface for Evernote never clicked with me. So I use Google, Mm -hmm. Google keep. And I, for me, a major part of my daily workflow is a physical notebook and fountain pen. I, I just, yeah, I cannot, I've tried and tried and tried to move to like an iPad only with Apple pencil workflow and I just can't do it. I've tried it on old versions of the iPad. I've tried the new version of the iPad with regular styles and new styles. Da, da, da. It just doesn't work for me. But I still, but I also, there's some huge drawbacks to a physical notebook, you know, searchability, for example, um, and filtering and grouping. Cloud sync. I upgraded and my old <laughs> notes just did not show up and I cannot figure it out. I know. So I've come up with a really, really specific type of solution that, I honest, I should honestly blog about because I've never heard anybody talk about it. And it's just mind blowing for me. I don't know how many other me's there are, but, uh, so a couple things I, I think for capturing ideas really quickly. And especially when I'm having a, like a, a coaching call with someone, or I've just got an idea for a new webcast, or I just need to, I'm not a super visual person. I'm much more of an, an outliner. But when I do need to do something visual or I'm capturing unstructured data like a conversation, um, using a fountain pen on a piece of paper is, to me, there's no improving on it. It's the best. So for capturing the information and I, I then what I do is periodically, I would say every couple of days, I will take a picture of my notes and put them in Google Keep, which is basically like Evernote. And I do also do that with things like invoices from my plumber or business cards that somebody might leave at our house or like uh, flyers or, you know, for a landscaper or something like that. And Google Keep does a really good job of, of um, doing uh, text recognition. Uh, 
So you can immediately search, like instantly search on any printed text that shows up in there. Um, unfortunately, my handwriting is a little too spazzy for it to understand my writing. So what I'll do is just tag the page. So I'll, I'll take a pic, I'll take like, you know, a picture of like five, 10 pages and then it'll upload, you know, with my phone and it automatically uploads to the cloud version. And then I go in and again, keyboard shortcuts, I can quickly tag each one with what I would search for later. So if I do like a coaching call, you know, every other week I have these accountability calls with students. We'll have like, um, a, uh, a, you know, like an hour long chat, maybe, maybe it's 45 minutes, maybe it's an hour and a half and I'll have a few, anywhere from a page to four pages of notes. And when I'm taking the notes, if there's something for one of us to do, I draw like an empty checkbox, like a square next to it. Mm-hmm. And if, if we, I have like, if one of us has like a, an insight or I call them big idea while we're talking, I draw a little light bulb next to it. So after I take the pictures, I can look in the desktop version of Google keep really quickly. See if there are any like from zoomed out view, I can see if there are any important ideas or to do's on any of the notes, which then I'll put in the place where they go. So it's not, it's not the perfect workflow. It would be like if somebody had, a, a, and I think Evernote might even do this, but, um, if, you, if there was some way for it to automatically detect those squares and those light bulbs and auto tag, it would blow my mind. But, but actually doing that tagging manually is not that hard because I don't, you know, I mean, if I take more than five pages of notes a day, that would be a big day. So it's not I, that hard. It takes about two, like two to five minutes. For you, the listeners of Freelancer Show, Loot Crate is offering an opportunity to save 10% on any new subscription at LootCrate.com. Just enter the promo code BRIDGE10 for 10% savings. Loot Crate is one of my favorite things. Every month I get a box in the mail, costs less than $20, and it comes with all kinds of goodies. I have stuff from just looking at my shelf, Batman, Spider-Man, Ninja Turtles, Back to the Future, Lord of the Rings, Star Wars, and much, much more. So if you're a geek, a gamer, anything like that, and you want cool stuff to put around your office, cool t-shirts, comic books, etc., then definitely check out Loot Crate. To save 10% on your new subscription, go to lootcrate.com slash ruby. Again, that's lootcrate.com slash ruby to save 10% on any new subscription. Enter the promo code BRIDGE10 for 10% savings. Yeah, and I like that manual review process in there because, and correct me if I'm wrong here, but that's often where I discover, hey, I noted this down as a to-do thing, but I don't yet know enough to do it, or, oh, we decided this wasn't the thing that needed to do. I like that manual review because it gives that qualification screening point where you could say like, is this the thing I really need to do? Is this a thing they really need to do? Is this something that needs a next action or not? And that manual review yeah. was often where I capture that. Yeah. Cause when you're doing the actual idea capture, when you're, you know, it's frantic, you're talking, you're on, you know, you're probably on a call, you might be doing a video call or might be multiple people on the call. You're mm-hmm. scribbling like crazy. It's kind of a mess. Uh, so yeah, it does help to go back and have sort of a, a little bit more, I don't want to say meditative, but more thoughtful review of the notes. Uh, you can, a lot of times you can kind of organize the thoughts a little bit better and then move them from that capture phase, which is what the paper is for to wherever they need to go after Mm -hmm. that. And like last note on the notebook. So one of the things with having a physical notebook, that's a huge drawback for me is that uh, when you get to toward the end of one you need to start carrying a new empty one. And then once you have the new empty one and you start working in there, now you've got two notebooks and you have to carry them both because you have to refer back to perhaps pages in the old notebook, the new notebook, it drives me crazy. So I, uh, I looked and looked and looked and finally settled on the uh, Circa notebooks by Levenger, which allow you to um, easily just keep pulling the front pages out and adding pages to the back. So I always have a mostly empty notebook with the last few weeks of notes in the front. That's great. That's a great, great pick. So I, I can understand. I mean, I, I like the idea of a physical notebook in which you write, but my handwriting is terrible and I write, I mean, I type much faster than I write. So, I mean, I just tend when I'm on a call with a meeting, I'll just be typing. Um, I try not to use my super loud keyboard because I do realize that it bothers some people. <laughs> it's like a jackhammer sometimes. Um, 
And I've used sometimes uh, just Google Docs to to share documents with people. But I'll often just open, I mean, again, this sounds very primitive and everything, but I'll just open an Emacs buffer, you know, a new mm-hmm. file, text file, and I'll just write into it as we're talking. And then I'll do some organization during the meeting, but afterwards then I'll go back and I'll organize it a bit. And then sometimes I'll share it with them, um, sort of depending on the nature of the client and what we're talking about. I've experimented with that, but in person, I find it really off-putting to have someone on a laptop with that kind of wall in between you and the person you're talking to. And it's too, like, it's okay if you're just on an audio call, but if, if, uh, in person, I find it when two people are talking in person and one of them is on a computer staring down, uh, even if you're, you know, I don't have to look at the keyboards when I'm, you know, I'm a touch typer, but still it's something I didn't like the vibe of that because I, I, I am capable of doing the same thing, but I uh, find that for in-person stuff, it doesn't cut the mustard. No, I think mm-hmm. you're absolutely right on that, Jonathan. There needs to be a distinction between in-person meetings and virtual meetings. For virtual meetings, uh, Ruben, I use a system very similar to you. I'll have a Google Doc running that's shared notes, shared agenda for the meeting. I'll typically put together an agenda ahead of the meeting. Uh, the rule of thumb a friend once shared with me and I use to this day is however long you expect the meeting to take, spend that long on the agenda and you will have a good agenda. And I've yet to have that proven wrong. So we'll go Ooh. through the meeting. Yeah, that's a good one. Write that, uh, Listeners, write that one down. Spend as long as on the agenda as you're planning on spending on the meeting. And so in the meeting itself, we'll go through the agenda. <clears throat> it's just in a simple Google Doc. I'll have them shared on it or not. I'll take notes and then I'll have a buffer time scheduled after the meeting. I do this in Calendly automatically. I say, hey, when somebody books an appointment with me or if there's an event on my calendar, uh, nothing's allowed within 30 minutes of that. Just so if there's travel time or it's one call ending, I have a break. I have a rest period and I'm able to go through those notes and say, hey, we talked about a ton of stuff. Okay, these are the three or four action items. I'll email or Slack them across to the other person. I'll record what I need to do and what the due dates are. I'll make sure they are specific action items. They have a due date. They have a specific next task associated with them. And so I found that a Google Doc works well to capture information in the moment during a conversation for a remote call or a virtual call or an audio-only call. In addition to that, though, for person-to-person face-to-face meetings, I think nothing beats a paper notebook. And I even keep a paper notebook next to me during calls. What I find is something might come to mind and my process for using a paper notebook during the day is when I'm working on a task or a project or I'm in a deep work period and I suddenly remember, oh, I need to check this thing or did I pay that thing or did the rent check go out? Normally my habit is let me switch context to focus on that thing and I'm just yak shading. I end up 16 things down and I'm wondering what the heck I originally started on. Now the process is, I think of the thing I need to do, I write it down in my paper notebook next to me, and then either at a predetermined break or end of the day, I could look at the things and be like, what are these things? Half these things are bullshit. I don't need to do these things. But in the moment, they felt like they were incredibly important. The remaining half, then I'm able to say, okay, these are things that do require a next action. What's the priority? What's a due date? What is that next action? So capturing in that physical paper notebook during the day has been valuable for me to prevent yak shaving. And it's also, I think, the preferred way to handle face-to-face interactions where you want to take notes. I love my yellow legal pads. Mm. One thing I, I want to highlight that you, uh, that was a bunch of great stuff. And one thing you kind of blasted past uh, that loops back to the calendar thing. It's also something I do is I'll put in a point. So if, let's say I have an appointment from like 1 to 2 p.m. in the afternoon. And I'm going to be, you know, like I did a podcast before this podcast where we we're interviewing a sort of a, heavy hitting book author kind of guy. And I wanted to make sure that I was prepared, like mentally going into that. So I blocked out an hour before actually Mm -hmm. an appointment in my calendar to like review his website, uh, go over the highlights that I took on his book. And then, uh, similarly after a coaching kickoff call, I'll block out an hour in my calendar actually blocked out to synthesize all of the notes and, and the findings that we got, because those are usually really intense phone calls and uh, you just capture an amazing density of information. It needs to be organized while it's still fresh. You're just going to completely forget it. At least I will. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. So I think those are, those are, and you can't just like leave that to chance. Like, Oh yeah, oh, maybe I'll get around to that. You know, it's like, just put it in the calendar after the meeting. Cause it's, you're going to spend the time. So you might as well block it out. My personal calendar management strategy has evolved to sort of like a, uh, I don't know how to describe this. What I do is monthly, 
I'll look ahead and see, okay, what are the major things, personal things, trips, vacations, uh, holidays coming up, block them out on my calendar, any travel, block it out on my calendar, any personal events, block them out. And then each week at the start of the week, I'll look through my task manager, my inbox, my to-do list, my calendar and say, okay, what are the different things? If I notice I have a coaching kickoff meeting with a student, I'll say, okay, that will require some additional time. Let me get that on the calendar now so I'm not playing time Tetris with the different elements on my calendar. Instead, I blocked out an <laughs> hour before. I stole that one from Merlin, man. All credit to him. That's so good. <laughs> but block out an hour before so I could prep for the call, block out an hour afterwards, same day or not, so I could synthesize and figure out, okay, we discussed a ton of things. Here are the four things we actually need to focus on. And then every two days, I'll look forward two days and say, okay, what do tomorrow and the next day involve? What's come up that I did not know of when the week started? What do I need to adjust? What priorities do I need to renegotiate? What do I need to say no to or say I need, I could approach this on a later date? And so having these frequent check-ins with my calendar, looking at it monthly, looking at it weekly, and then doing these two-day rolling reviews to see what's changed and what's coming up. Maybe midway through the week, I get sick and I say, hey, you know what? Thursday and Friday, they're going to be a wash now. I need to renegotiate what I said I'd get to people on Thursday and Friday. Let me clear my calendar, renegotiate these things. Having this different cadence of review focused on different timelines has worked very, very well for me to understand what's happening in the short term, what's happening this week, what's happening this month, and even in some cases, what's happening this quarter. I just went through and blocked out every single vacation day for the first two quarters of 2018 because this year, Many a time I'd be talking with my dad and he'd say, oh, yeah, it's a vacation day. I took it off. And I'm like, nobody told me I've, I've worked for four hours. This sucks. And <laughs> I want to avoid that happening again. Yeah, I could be way better about that. That that sort of different cadence of review for different timelines mm -hmm. and, and also blocking things out at the beginning of the year for the whole year, because I got myself in trouble this just with this Thanksgiving that just went by in the U.S., so I didn't, I didn't block that out of my actual calendar. Mm -hmm. So when I send out calendar links to people, they could pick times that were like on Thanksgiving day and in, yeah. in, in Calendly, you're, it's not presented to you as like Thanksgiving. Don't pick this day. It's just, you know, it's available. It's a, th it's a Thursday. Actually the problem was Friday because there's my Thursdays are always blocked out. But, but, uh, Friday, the day after I really wanted to take the whole day off and I had, uh, you know, student stuff booked there. So then I'm scrambling at the last minute and exactly time Tetris. It was like, I had to squeeze that into the following week on the Monday and I had to push some stuff from Wednesday, which I also took off to the Tuesday. And it's just like, it's a nightmare. So that that's a great piece of advice for me personally to go through. And, you know, I know when Thanksgiving is going to be next year, just go mm -hmm. block it out. Yeah. And, yeah. I definitely, oh, sorry. Please, you too. No, I, I definitely blocked out. I mean, especially since I tend to schedule stuff way, way, way in advance. I mean, again, we're recording in early December and I'm more or less fully scheduled through October of next year. Um, and I purposely kept July and August open because I'm not quite sure what we're going to be doing in terms of family vacation. But um, like my nephew's bar mitzvah, I put that in already and family stuff and holidays because I, I need to know, like I need to know what I'm scheduling things around. And it's kind of crazy, but um, it, it's, it's super, super important. Um, I mean, I even asked my wife, she's a curator at a gallery in Tel Aviv. I asked her, when are you having exhibit openings? So I can be mm -hmm. sure that I'm not abroad the week or two before that. Um, and the more that stuff you can put in there in advance, the better, like I can then be more relaxed about stuff. Like, okay, I'm not going to be away when I need to be more with the kids. I'm not going to be able, like, I'm going to be able to go see family when I need to and so forth. Entirely. Yeah, it removes this whole level of stress that you may not even realize you're dealing with. And suddenly you have your calendar more on point. I don't think it ever necessarily gets perfect, but it gets better. And you realize, oh, I'm not worried about missing these important things. Uh, I, my local friend group has a wonderful, wonderful habit of day of an event, like an hour before, hey, it's game night tonight. Do you want to get together? And it's wonderful. I love game night. I love hanging out with people. But I've asked so many times, like, please, a week beforehand, send me a calendar invite because, like, that Thursday night rolls around and I'm like, well, I got nothing going on. I'm going to relax and watch a couple episodes of Westworld or Mr. Robot or something. And suddenly there's a social invitation. I'm not in the mood for it. I might be planning to rest up for a harder Friday. Had they sent a calendar invite, had I known I could put it on my calendar and then say, okay, cool, I got this thing this afternoon. Let me plan my day so I have enough energy for that thing. It, it all comes down to, I think, understanding the different obligations and promises we're making and making sure we're able to honor those commitments we're making. 
and being realistic about yeah. about what you're going to really get to. Mm-hmm. Right. That's, yeah. a, that's a terrible problem that I have where I tend to way over schedule myself and then I spend less time with family than I'd like and I feel guilty for not getting to everything and I don't sleep enough. It's like I hit the trifecta. <laughs> and de- de- definitely like an important thing is realizing, okay, what can I reasonably expect to get done in a period of time? And I am slowly, I mean, I'm 47. I finally started to realize you can't do everything. There's not infinite time um, and you need to make choices. Um, and that's not a bad thing. It's a sort of realization that's taken me perhaps longer than others, other people. But, um, but that's, that's sort of an important thing to, to realize and scheduling and scheduling realistically will, will help you to realize that and say no to things as necessary. Yes. I'm curious for the two of you, do you use time estimates often when planning out tasks before you move them to your calendar? Sort of. I did sometimes and I was horribly bad at it. I was like, like la- laughably bad. Four so minutes stopped. to write this app. Right, right. Which, which like, <laughs> which like, it's, it would be probably better for me to put some time estimate than what I do now, which is no time estimate that I just sort of shove it into whatever time I can find. Mm-hmm. Um, so I should go back to putting things like that on my calendar. But, um, but yeah, for now it's just not happening. It's like, Oh, I should really do this. Uh, it's Sunday night and I got to get out two news newsletters tomorrow. Well, I guess I'll go to bed later. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I sort of, the stuff that goes into my to-do list you know, my undated to-do list is usually pretty short tasks mm-hmm. uh, that maybe, yeah, that feel like 15 minutes, maybe in reality they're 30 minutes, but a lot of them are like call plumber, you know, stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And if something is going to take, for example, I've got a, a proposal that's due. That doesn't, it doesn't have a particular date that I said I'd get it to them, but it's too big to put on my to-do list because it's going to, it's definitely going to take an hour or two to really think through and put together three really valuable options for this big company. Uh, you know, I got typos, all that stuff. It, it needs some attention. It needs mm-hmm. to be crafted. So that needs to go into my calendar as like a two hour block of time. And it, it this is sort of the gray area between my to-do list and my normal calendar stuff is that thing. I'll put it on, say I'll put it on a Tuesday morning. I don't actually get to it. Because it's weird because I'll, I'll look at it and I'll be like, oh, I'm actually not in the mood to do that right now. Mm-hmm. And this is my sort of procrastination events that I'll like, I'll bump it to the next day at some point or later in the afternoon. And it kind of might move around a little bit. And then finally I'll be like, okay, I really have to do this. So, you know, in answer to your, do I do a time estimate? I sort of do, uh, for things like that. And if they're, if they're going to be longer than I, I estimate if this is like a quick thing or not a quick thing. And if it's not a quick thing, I'll probably put it on my calendar and probably bump it around a little bit. Uh, assuming that it's not like an appointment with another person. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, uh, one of the things that comes to mind is sort of the distinction between tasks and projects. Since the smaller things you reference being in the undated to do list seem more like tasks, call plumber, single thing. Mm-hmm. There's really no dependencies there. Right. Proposal mm-hmm. for a big client. It's more of a project in my mind, and that is more than two steps. I need to think about this. I need to draft it. I need to review it. I need to read their notes. I need to edit it. I need to give a final review. Like there are multiple discrete tasks within the deliver proposal, follow up of client, deliver proposal to a client project. And so mm-hmm. that's one of the areas where I start liking a project based approach versus a task based approach since the task of proposal, it could be like a six hour thing, but it's amorphous and there's multiple steps in there. But breaking it out as a project, I use OmniFocus and enjoy it for this feature, being able to break it out as a project and say, okay, these are things that need to occur in order. I need to review notes. I need to draft it. I need to review the draft. I need to outline it. I need to do a round of editing. I need to send it to somebody for feedback. That helps me see, okay, what is the flow here? And then I could start thinking about, okay, how much time is each one of these going to take? My approach typically to time estimates is do a best guest estimate and then double it. And the reason I do that is because things are going to pop up. Phone calls are going to come in. I'm making a best guess here. Over time, I will keep become better at saying, oh, this is how much time it takes me to do this thing. But if it's something new and I'm just getting started with it or I'm not that familiar with doing it, I'll give myself a larger margin there. And if it ends up taking half or a third of the time, hey, great. I have extra time on my calendar. 
I have a separate context inside OmniFocus, small wins. And those are those small, tiny 10 to 15 minute things. Call a doctor, set up appointment, uh, uh, fix this bug on the website in the checkout. Just small, tiny things I can knock off when I have a 20 or a 30 minute block and say, oh, I could take care of 10 of these, right? Or not 10, two of these right now. That helps me have that distinction between, oh, this is a project I'm working on and this is a task I'm working on. The reason I enjoy estimating the time on projects or the time for tasks so much is when it comes time to move them across to my calendar, I already have a best guess of how much time it's going to take. And so when I start building out the calendar, I could say, oh, I have this thing that's going to take two hours. Wednesday, I have six different calls and no break larger than 30 minutes. I can't do this Wednesday. I need to get this in on Thursday when I actually do have time. So having those estimates, even if they are overestimates, helps me better plan out my calendar and then able to say, okay, what am I working on now? Uh, circling back to a point you made about low energy versus high energy days and that procrastination avoidance nature. I get into that all the time. Naomi of Idibiz wrote an amazing article we'll have in show notes, how to stay amazingly productive on low energy days. It's honestly one of the best articles I've read this year, and it changed how I approach task management and just viewing my energy level as one of those inputs. Since there are days I wake up and I have the best of intentions and I'm just like, I got no energy. I could handle tiny things today. I'm, I'm done. And great. I Before, I would feel guilty and beat myself up over it. Now I'm like, okay, it's a low energy day. Just like any input, some days we get less than we want. I have less energy today than I wanted. Let me just tackle the low energy things. Let me cross off 20 small wins on my list. Then at the end of the day, I'm able to say, hey, you know what? I felt low energy. I felt like poop today. But you know, I did these things and move these things forward and cross them off the list. And they might not be the big life-changing business things. I might not have shipped to the 20-hour project this week, but I was able to make forward movement on those low energy days, which we all get as humans. Mm. Well, so speaking of projects, you're a big Trello fan, right? Mm -hmm. Kai? Mm -hmm. So where, when, when do you think I need to launch Trello? That's a good question. Uh, so I use OmniFocus primarily and Trello for some things. I've switched to using Trello for team-based projects since OmniFocus is not a team-based thing and I dislike Asana a lot. So mm -hmm. I'll use Trello when there's more than one person involved on this. We're using an agile or an agile-esque, Kanban-esque approach to it, not a waterfall, waterfall style. And we want to be able to know, or and we want a process where it's clear to see what needs to happen next, what's at the top of the stack, what's the highest priority. And we're living in a world where projects and tasks or cards can only move in one direction forward. So Trello works very well for me in those specific circumstances. Uh, to get meta for a second, something like a podcast recording workflow, I think is perfect for Trello. We have multiple people involved. We have episodes. Episodes only really move in one direction, idea to outline, to recorded, to edited, to scheduled, to published. And so it works well to move things forward in that direction. I've used Trello more in the Kanban than Agile, if I can make that distinction uh, methodology. And it worked well, and it helped me have a better understanding of what I needed to focus on. But I ended up moving back to OmniFocus about six months ago because it met more of my needs and just worked better with how I approached the getting things done mentality or the David Allen approach to uh, task and project management. It's very much yeah. a getting things done tool from the ground up. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I use it. I, I have used it on client projects. I've never used it for myself, like just mm -hmm. for my own. And in a client project, weirdly, it was not, it was something where I would basically output things as a PDF and just update the team in base camp and be like, okay, here's the updated timeline and all that stuff with the dependencies and all that. They didn't have to go in and edit it or update it. So it worked fine in mm -hmm. that context. But uh, it would be, that's not a bad, that's a good idea. And you do have a, a organizational superpower because we've been, you know, dear listener, uh, I've been a part of a number of projects, at least three that come to mind, really complicated projects that Kai has organized. And it's like, listen to what he says. <laughs> He's good at it. <laughs> Thank you so um, much, my I, friend. You're welcome. I don't, I don't do a lot of group, big group uh, sort of, I just don't do a lot of big group projects that have lots of steps. Uh, but, it, but interestingly though, you have a lower bar for what you consider a project than I do, which is probably mm -hmm. good. It's probably a shortcoming on my, on my part. I could probably consider smaller things, really anything that's going to take, you know, like the proposal, I would never consider that a project unto itself, but it kind of is. Mm -hmm. So, uh, it, and, and I hate doing them and it's, it could be that it would, I would hate them less if I broke it out 
in that way. Yeah. It's, if it's, you deal with things, sorry. Oh, please, Ruben, please. No, I was just thinking like, if you deal with everything as a project, then you treat it more seriously. You give it the time it needs, you give it the attention it needs, you put it on your calendar, you say, okay, I'm going to need to get some feedback. So you set a meeting with a, uh, you already schedule a meeting with the person who's going to have to get sign off, give you sign off on it, as opposed to, oh yeah, I just got to write this email and send it out. Um, which mm -hmm. is indeed part of the project or the proposal writing project as it were, but it's not necessarily the most time consuming part. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, it helps my, me to look at. Sorry. Oh, please, you. It, it helps me to, like, just thinking about because right now I have a proposal doing. Just thinking about it in the like, uh, when I'm thinking about it, it's this big thing that I have to do that's going to take a few hours that I don't want to do. But if I think, oh well, the first thing I need to do is just this tiny little thing, mm -hmm. I can do that. You know, the journey of a thousand, you know whatever mile starts with a single step. It's like if you, if whenever I do have a big project, like a book, of course I just, that's my obvious thing. I outline it to death and I'm like right down to like, okay, do this today, do this today, do this today, do this tomorrow and all these little things. So all of the individual steps feel really small because I know mm -hmm. that's a big project and it's worth uh, putting in that organizational time. And uh, oh, yeah, so I'm going to try that, try that to just like see if it decreases my desire to procrastinate. Highly, highly recommended. I think of it as the uh, college essay problem. I was a notorious procrastinator on all of my term papers in college. Uh, the best story is the paper was due at 10 a.m. I started it at 4 a.m. that day and dropped it off at 9.50 at the teacher's office. And <laughs> through sheer luck and chutzpah alone, I ended up getting an A on that paper, and I do not know how. But it was because I viewed it, I think, as a single task. I need to write this paper. But when I viewed it that way, I was like, oh, I'm going to procrastinate. It's a thing. It's just one thing. I'll do it later. But if I view it as a project, suddenly it's A, a little more interesting and B, a little easier to tackle piece by piece over time. Oh, I need to outline the thing. That will take 45 minutes. Okay, I did that. I don't have to think about it for a day or two now. Oh, I need to do a draft off of the outline. Oh, that will take two hours. Okay, let me schedule some deep work time. Okay, draft's done. I don't have to think about it for a day or two. By approaching it as individual discrete tasks like that, it was easier for me to say, oh, I see the start and the completion of this task. I see how much time it'll take me to do. And now it's easier for me to approach it rather than the larger amorphous thing of like write term paper. I, I don't really know what I'm supposed to do here. And I know personally, whenever I encounter those points where I don't know what the next step is, I will stop. I will procrastinate. I will do something else. Mm -hmm. Yes, All right. absolutely. So we should probably start wrapping yeah. up but do you guys have any other like tidbits suggestions before we move into picks man there's so many other good ones we've made a list before the show that there's still a couple of really juicy ones uh i, I just want to quickly say something about keyboard shortcuts oh, so yeah. uh, i use a a program called a text that has probably i'm going to say 50 maybe 75 things that I often type and I almost use it as a document repository where it, like e entire Mad Libs style emails where I'll just type a, a keyboard shortcut and it pops up this form for me to fill out name, company name, uh, issue, blah, 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 and hit okay. And boom, the entire email is written for me. Uh, a lot of people use, um, Text expander, right? I, I don't remember why I preferred a text over text expander. I cannot remember, but, uh, I chose a text, but I think the a text is, Oh, please you. Sorry. I, yeah. I, I don't remember the difference, but it's a, a big part of my routine. I use it many times every day. Hi, I've never used hi. such a thing, but I really, maybe I should try strong recommendation. Uh, a text is one option. Text expander is another option. They are wonderful. Uh, just having a, just being able to create a short keyboard shortcut, like let's say you have a standard response to somebody asking what your hourly rate is. And mm -hmm. you say, just have a response that's like, hey, I don't bill hourly. Uh, before we talk about the price of the project, let's figure out the value to you and what you're looking for. Uh, the next step would be schedule a meeting. You could type that out every single time somebody asks your hourly rate over a year. You type it a few hundred times. Or you could set up a short little shortcut and just type up like, 
semicolon hourly. And then, boop, it replaces that with that full message. And so it's so mm. efficient. It's so wonderful at just saying, oh, this is a message I write frequently, more than once, more than twice a week, more than once or twice a month. Let me just put it in text expander. So when it's time for me to type my phone number, type my address, type my business address, type my uh, employer identification number, anything that just I don't want to have to remember, let me just put it someplace. I'm able to have it in text expander or a text, any of these tools, type a short little shortcut and boop, it appears there and it's done. It is one of the most valuable tools in my arsenal. I've used it for, I think, Text Expander for six or seven years now and strong, strong recommendation for those types of tools. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I use it constantly. Mm-hmm. Maybe started, that is another way for me to reduce my email load because I'm constantly like writing and writing and writing responses to people. Huh. I tell yeah. you, uh, one I just added yesterday that has helped me, helped me get from 150 to under 100 messages in the in- inbox semicolon no and it just expands to <laughs> thank you so much for the opportunity i will be <laughs> right every yeah, day he's like hey can you you know guest on this thing you know it's not gonna work on my schedule semicolon no done send and it made it so much easier than like i have to think of an excuse i have to think of a reason right. and i just put myself through a guilt spiral around it instead great i have a no message i could just copy it paste it use text expander to send it and i'm done and i can move on to the next one and so there's a lot of places where you type something frequently like phone number, semicolon MYP, boop, outputs my phone number. And so I don't ever have to remember what it is or type the full phone number. Instead, when somebody's like, hey, what's your number? I could just hit that and have it show up and be done. Yeah, I use it for tons of things. I use it for for things that I type in Slack a million times a day, like mm-hmm. nod, nod, and roger that, and understood. Uh, I use it Zoom for... Links. What? Zoom links. Zoom. Yeah. I use it for, I have uh, semicolon HBIN, which expands to hourly billing is nuts.com with the, the whole thing. I have semicolon one uh, H, which expands to my one hour appointment link uh, in Calendly. And the reason we're saying semicolon is because if you don't use some sort of weird character, it, it'll autocomplete like all the time. Mm-hmm. Uh, I use it for, I, I use it for a million things. It, it's, it's probably the one thing that will make me go to my laptop when I'm sitting on the couch with my phone answering email and be like, nah, I'm going to do this on the computer mm-hmm. and I'll go over and it's just like, boom, 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 boom. You can blast through stuff. And yeah, I do. I have another one for introducing two people. Yep. Uh, another one for, um, there's just a million. I, I literally have 50 at least in there. And some of them are long, like 200 words. And all the stupid small snippets, like uh, my drip JavaScript snippet, my Facebook pixel, my Google Analytics code, my Hotjar code. I have all of those as a single snippet in Text Expander. And so when I'm building a sales page or a landing page or a product in SAM card, boop, they're all there. I don't have to be like, oh, shit, I forgot to put the Facebook pixel on that page. I know (laughs) it's there. It makes it so much easier. Yeah, I've got a really complicated uh, PS for my daily email list that has like, you know, branching logic with maybe eight or 10 different possibilities. It's just semicolon CTA. Boom. Yeah. And these are both uh, power user examples. I think for the majority of people, for people just getting started, just putting simple common things that you frequently send an email or frequently type out, uh, response to a proposal, declining a project, asking somebody for an introduction, whatever it may be adding those common phrases to text expander and then building the habit of like, Oh, I have something for this. Let me type the shortcut. Let me have the message pop out. Great. I'm done. It helps build the habit. And then over time you could start looking at more advanced cases, passing in a custom logic or outputting more complex things. You could have snippets, execute snippets, execute snippets inside of text expander, which could get to some fun recursive things or pulling up (laughs) all scripts or shell scripts. But outside of that, having it just as a repository for common messages so valuable, so, so valuable. You might save an hour a month. Okay, great. At the end of the year, you save 12 hours. Enjoy your extra day and a half. <laughs> this episode is sponsored by Linode. Linode is offering listeners of this podcast a $20 credit, which is good for four free months at their lowest plan. Their plans start at one gigabyte of RAM for $5 a month. You can get your servers in any of their 10 data centers and their high memory plans start at 16 gigabytes. Get a server running in under a minute. They do hourly billing with a monthly cap on all plans and add-on services like backups, node balancers, long view, etc. VMs for full control, 
running Docker containers, encrypted disks, VPNs, etc. You can run a private Git server. They provide native SSD storage, 200 gigabit network, and Intel E5 processors. They have 24-7 friendly support, even on holidays, and a seven-day money-back guaranteed. So go check them out at linode.com slash freelancer show. Yeah, love it. Secret weapon. Amazing. Yeah. I totally have to try this. Uh, can we do one more? Yeah. I know this is a super long episode, but I think people, I hope people will find it valuable. Um, notes and highlights and that sort of thing from, from books, uh, especially books, reference materials, that kind of thing. So do, I guess uh, I, I'm assuming everybody does this, but I highlight books a lot. And mm-hmm. for me, that is important information to be able to have quick access to later. Otherwise I've kind of wasted my time because I'm not going to remember everything from a book, uh, obviously. But, uh, so what I do with, uh, I, I have started to buy more dead tree books, but for a long time, especially when I was traveling, I read everything on Kindle and I would highlight passages and then later go back and you can use a, a variety of different tools. The one I use is book Scission, which is a bookmarklet that takes the highlights from your book and it allows you to download them as a CSV that, that I then would post as a blog post on my site so I could refer to it later. Mm-hmm. So like, you know, you can go to, you can go to expensiveproblem.com and look in, you look for notes on and they will be like, 20 books in there that I took copious notes and highlighted passages of and posted up there that, um, is super useful if only to say to a student, they're like, Hey, I'm thinking about reading a book on sales. Which one should I, which one should I try? And I'll say, well, here are my notes on like four sales books, read the highlights that I, that I picked out and pick the one that you vibe best with and go read that one. I love it. So that, I, I dig that. Um, I don't really take notes on podcasts and I don't go to conferences really as a, as a part, as a, as a audience member. So I've never really taken notes on those, but mm-hmm. books, books is a big deal for me because I think it, there's so much good inf- in a, in a good book, there is so much information kind of locked inside and people, you know, I've got a stack of books, like, you know, a virtual stack of books a mile high that I have that I probably, you know, will never get to I'll almost certainly never get to all of them. So, you know, it being able to, to kind of have a, my own cliff notes on the ones that I did read and quickly go back and be able to access that information is really valuable. I love it. Now I use something similar. Let's wrap up there and continue the conversation here on books or another topic for freelancers, uh, next week, uh, we have a bunch of picks that we'll be sharing in show notes. Any final ones we want to add? I know we mentioned a ton of resources on this episode, so those all will be making it to the show notes. So I just want to add one one sort of not uh, productivity pick. Um, so as, as as we're recording this episode, basically uh, it's now, uh, as I mentioned, like uh, early December. So less than a week ago, I guess it was like three, four days ago, it was announced that uh, Linux Journal, for whom I've written since 1996, is shutting down or has shut down. So uh, anyway, it's a, a sad note for me, a sad note, I think, for much of the open source community. It's sort of shocking to see where Linux is from and has gone to and so forth. Anyway, I wrote some notes on what it's like to work for a magazine for more than 20 years uh, and, and and not be writing for them anymore, speaking of something that I want to put on my calendar anymore in terms of deadlines. <laughs> so I'm just going to put uh, the uh, my, my blog post in the show notes. And uh, if anyone here ever read a Linux Journal, Thank you. And um, why didn't you keep paying for a subscription? No, no, no. Uh, <laughs> How dare they? They aren't allowed to listen anymore. Uh, uh, no, 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 that's no. great. No. I'm excited to read that article. Uh, a future topic I'd love to talk about with the two of you is writing more for print publications. It's something that I want to do more of in 2018 and 2019. And uh, I think it'd be a fun conversation <laughs> with the two of you. I know. I go. I, I head in the opposite direction of the industry. Zag. Zag. Anything else, guys? Nah, I think we're just gonna be so many links on this. I don't think we need to do more picks. Linkarama. Linkarama. <laughs> well, thank the All two right. of you uh, so much. This was a ton of fun. This is excellent. Excellent. Thanks, you guys. Thanks to you out there listening. And uh, we will be back next week on The Freelancer Show. See ya. Talk to y'all soon. Bandwidth for this segment is provided by Cashfly, the world's fastest CDN. Deliver your content fast with Cashfly. Visit C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y dot com to learn more.